Good evening and welcome to episode 311 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamandumwa Kumalo. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome to the only daily property podcast in South Africa. Make sure that you go to our Facebook or our YouTube page to catch up on all the great content that you have already missed out on. And to all our regular viewers on Facebook, on Instagram, as well as on YouTube, you know how we do it every single weekday. You and I have an appointment at 7 p.m. where we always tackle a hot property topic and certainly have them um, in conversation with experts who help us make better property decisions. And of course, there's also a whole host of other shows that you can catch on private property every single weekday at 8 p.m. And I, I, I know that those of you who are watching us would have seen some of the great changes that we're making, uh, you know, behind the scenes that you're already able to see. We absolutely love, uh, you know, changing things and innovating as much as we can. And of course, uh, making the offering as much as better as we absolutely can. So we look forward to, you know, seeing more of you engaging with us across our social media platforms. Now, talking about some of the great shows that you can look forward to at 8 p.m. as it is a Tuesday, you can look forward to the Farming Podcast with Umba Linwago at 8 p.m. This evening, she's going to be uh, looking at rural farming and sustainable beekeeping. And she's going to be in conversation with Mabato Poshamu Rudi, who's the co-founder at the Village Market. 
So if you want to get a better sense of how to uh, certainly get into bee farming and, and making it as sustainable as possible, then that is a show that you do not want to miss out on. You can catch Mbali every Thursdays as well at 8 p.m. with the Farming Podcast. And every Mondays and Fridays, Chad takes us through the Home Shoppers Show. It gives us a great tour of amazing properties that you can find on www.privateproperty.co.za. So do make sure that you certainly make that appointment for every single Monday and Friday at 8 p.m. And on Wednesdays, SC Carson brings you the first-time home buyer show, which is always in conversation with people who've not only walked that first-time home buying journey, but have gone on to grow their property portfolios from strength to strength. Well, those are the great shows that you can look forward to every single weekday at 8 p.m. across Private Property's social media pages. Remember to follow us across our social media pages on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, uh, as well as on TikTok. You can follow myself at Zamanduma underscore K on on Instagram as well as on Twitter. And of course, the conversation that I'm very excited about this evening. Uh, and as I said yesterday, during Women's Month, we're only going to be having women as our guests. We're not going to be doing, you know, we're celebrating women. A woman is so amazing. Yes, we absolutely are amazing. But <laughs> on the spotlight, we're going to, you know, have incredible experts who are women uh, who are going to be helping us make better uh, property decisions. And this evening, we're looking at women's participation in urban development. This is one of those topics that, you know, the nerd in me absolutely loves. I was already having the the, the pre-show with my guest this evening and just talking a little bit about, you know, urban development and how gendered it sometimes is. So if you want to get a better sense of, you know, the role that gender tends to typically play when it comes to um, urban development, this is a show that you want to make sure you do not miss out on. And you're probably thinking, what is urban development? What do we even mean by it? And how should, why should I even, uh, you know, care about what it is? Well, we're going to be tackling just that in a moment. And my guest this evening is somebody we've had on the show before, Claire Dutravaux, who's an architect and an urban researcher. Claire, good evening and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am Really, really excited to be here and to have this conversation with you and with the listeners tonight. It's only such a pleasure, Claire. And I think before we even get, you know, talking about urban development, which is really one of my, uh, uh, one of those topics that I, I geek out over all the time, I want us to just first look at, um, you know, the previous time you were with us, it was last year in November, we were looking at opportunities in the micro-property development space. And that was, of course, with the work that you do with BitProp. I think firstly, just at a high level for viewers who probably missed out on that episode um, that we have, can you just tell us a little bit about BitProp and some of the, uh, certainly some of the work or the opportunities that uh, people uh, potentially might have in that micro-property development? So BitProp um, was born out of um, an understanding that um, RDP or the, the BNG government subsidized houses were given or are given as starter homes. And so initially there was a bit more space um, and the idea that those homes would grow. But obviously with a lack of capital, it's very hard to grow those spaces. And BitProp saw an opportunity in the growing rental market and the gap in the fact that there are very little or, or few innovative financial 
mechanisms or tools available for homeowners. So essentially what BitProp does is BitProp partners with a homeowner who owns property and ideally um, lives on that property and has space for rental developments. Then we come in, we design, we develop, we manage the construction process of four or six rental units on um, your property. And then we assist the homeowner in renting those, those units out. And that rental income is partially used to pay back BitProp's capital over time. And it's partially used as an income for the homeowner. And after about eight to 10 years, depending on the size of the, the property, depending on the vacancy rates and the um, rental return that we can get, um, the initial capital injection is paid back to BitProp and that becomes a long-term income generator, a sustainable passive income generator for the homeowner. Um, what's really exciting about it is that we're looking at, we've been in operation for almost three years now, and we're really looking at how we diversify that model. So not just um, looking at residential, but looking at mixed-use developments. Um, you know, what does it mean? Like, it's one thing just to put a bunch of, more residential spaces in an area, but how do we start to include spaces for daycares and spaces for um, little corner cafes, little laundries? And I think as our conversation progresses, we'll talk more about like why those types of spaces are so important in a, in a mix of a neighborhood. And, and and I absolutely love that. I think when when we had you on the show last year, one of the great things, and I urge viewers at home who haven't seen that episode, it was episode one hundred and forty one, and we're looking at the opportunities in the micro property development. It is one of those things that many of us. Um, if especially within the town, township space, if you know that you've got a property, you want to find different ways of, uh, you know, maximizing the space that you have and you know, build really quality, uh, you know, units in your particular property and use a different vehicle. And when I say different, I mean different from sort of conventional banks or uh, perhaps borrowing from friends and families that will also your operation that absolutely is uh, an avenue that you are able to to explore. So that's episode 141 for those of you at home who want to listen back to that conversation. I see all the love that we're getting on Facebook. Shinanga and our top fan gang members saying happy Tuesday, property moguls. We choose private property, begeli, begeli, beke. Tamsin, Sovanile, also showing us some love there with those green hearts down here below. Absolutely love seeing that. Do you can continue showing us uh, that love down here below it's Tuesday and and thank you very much for choosing us this evening now Claire we did say we're obviously going to be looking at women's participation in urban development before we even look at the the, the first component which is women's participation let's break down what we mean by urban development because there are so many different ways that people can interpret uh, you know urban development for purposes of a conversation what is typically meant uh, when we talk about urban development so I think it is it, it is such a, a broad um, kind of um, topic. When I like to talk about urban development, um, I like to sort of think about the the three bubbles really, which are the the policy, like the urban policy bubble, um, the the urban economy bubble, and then the residential bubble. And the residential bubble. 
I, I don't just mean like, but I let's call it the built environment bubble. So often when people say like, oh, urban development, we just immediately think of like buildings. But these other two um, bubbles, our policy bubble and our um, urban economy bubble are just as important. Um, and often they, they inform how the, the built environment lands up kind of taking its shape. Um, and so when we talk about urban development, we talk about the, the kind of like the sweet spot, the overlap of those three, where those come together, where we see the, the policy influencing the like economy, which obviously influences the, the physical manifestation, which is buildings, houses, office spaces, public spaces, roads. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's it, when we talk about urban, it's, it's also it's so broad. So we're not just talking about buildings, we're talking about infrastructure, um, water, electricity, infrastructure, sewage infrastructure, and then the top layer of actual buildings and then um, everything else that kind of fits in into those buildings. And, 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 and I want to bring in the, the, the gender component because somebody is thinking, so why, why even look at gender? How does gender um, sort of intersect with uh, you know, urban, urban spaces? So we talk about urban development or urban spaces and gender. Um, how do those two intersect? I mean, we're, we're talking offline that this is one of those things that I like following up on. Um, particularly on, on, you know, on a, I'll say, global level, so not just from a South African context, but looking at it, especially from the global south, um, how we are looking at gender and urban development and various topics sort of within the built environment. So when we look at gender and, and urban development or urban spaces, how do the two then come together, especially given how you've just, you know, painted such a great picture of um, those three bubbles of, you know, uh, urban policy, urban um, economy, and also, of course, the built environment. So when we then put an agenda component, how does that fundamentally come into play? Well, I think the obvious one that, like, immediately jumps to mind and that is very much kind of well-spoken about and, and well-covered is this idea of public safety and and say, creating spaces that are safe for women um, and safe for children. Because obviously when we when we think about women and sort of children automatically get added on to that. Um, but that's, you know, and then we're like, okay, great, safety, oh, good lighting, um, not far distances to travel, um, you know, but there's so many more very intricate details when we think about urban development that you don't think about, but that, that have such a big impact. So one of the things that is incredible for me um, when you think about it is that on average, a woman will do 30 hours a week of unpaid labor. And that comes in the form of um, childcare, housework, um, caring for old people, and a man will do six to 10 hours less than a woman of unpaid labor. Um, and so small things within the urban development space, and that goes back to what I was talking about earlier about, you know, how do we create good neighborhoods, is that if you have access, wider access to um, childcare facilities, so whether it's an ECD or a preschool or even just like a daycare mother, 
you increase the ability of women to go back to work. Um, if women are able to work closer to, they to where they live, you also are able to increase how, how many women access work because they're able to get back in a reasonable amount of time to fetch a child or to prepare dinner or to do homework with the child. Um, so all of these small details about like how many schools we put in an area when we're talking about like the policy level, um, you know, and then if we, if we talk about the economy level, you know, are we injecting money into, you know, are we giving more subsidies to allow for more daycare centers and ECDs in, in areas where we know mothers have to travel far to get to work. And so really when we think about gender, it's a big overlap between how do we design spaces that are, that are safe, but how do we design spaces that allow for the, the economic activities that then allow mothers to go back or women and participate in that economic um, realm as well. Um, and then, you know, on a very personal, like closer to home level, um, in Cape Town townships, the minimum requirement of like, or informal settlements rather, of toilets to households is five toilets to one household. And if we just increase that to three toilets to one household, we would dramatically, we would incrementally reduce the amount of sexual harassment and um, sexual offenses that are done to women in those spaces because they're having to walk to toilets um, at nighttime. And then that has a positive impact because less sexual offenses means less public health bills, um, which means that money can be spent on other public health campaigns rather than on treating women who have been sexually abused. Mm -hmm. I'm this evening in conversation with Claire de Travaux, who's an architect and an urban researcher. We look at women's participation in urban development. I think this is one of those things that we tend to not think about or it becomes an afterthought, certainly in a lot of our mainstream um, conversations. And I want to find out from you at home, I think, if you, especially for women, uh, I think what have been some of the considerations that you know you've had to make um, extra when you're even looking for a place? whether a place to buy or a place to to rent in um, and I mean I'll go first I think one of the big things that uh, a lot of us and I know all of us generally uh, have to look at this but I think women in particular will look at it even more especially if you're going to be uh, living alone is you're more hyper vigilant on the safety of where you want to move in and little things like if you know complex is uh, close to a corner that looks slightly dodgy and you know that you typically would come back from work very late I would think twice about moving, you know, sort of there because I know that I may not be comfortable if the only way back to my place is is sort of passing by that particular uh, dodgy corner. And I think more often than not, as women, we sometimes do find ourselves having to uh, work extra hard to put in safety measures. So if you're somebody who likes jogging, you're going to find out if the area that you want to live in um, is safe for you to jog. And as much as a lot of areas in South Africa, even where we think we're safe and not particularly safe, uh, we, we often do you know, try to get a sense of, is that neighborhood relatively safe? Because 
because a high priority value for you is being able to dog, uh, regardless of whether you're looking to buy that property or you're looking to rent there. And so those are some of the factors that we sometimes have to look into as women when we are you know, shopping for a property as either renters or, of course, homeowners. I want to find out from you, what have been the extra checks that you've had to you know, put in place? And, and you know that chances are your male counterparts haven't done it. One of the things that used to irk me quite a lot was Every time I view, you know, a property, I used to find far too often, you know, the state agent asking me if, you know, Mr. Kumalo is going to be joining us. So that automatic assumption that, you know, I'm married and there's there's a man who's going to be there to make this decision, especially as I'm talking with them about the price and, you know, what's included or not included. And, and they almost feel uneasy, you know, and, and assume that there's going to be a man part of the particular uh, property transaction. So I already urge estate agents to not make those kinds of assumptions um, because they irk a lot of us women off. I think assume if you're dealing with the woman, you're dealing with the woman who is going to be buying by themselves. If you find out that there's a mister in the picture at a later stage, fantastic, but don't uh, at, the, you know, at the starting point uh, make those kinds of assumptions. I want to find out from you at home as women, if you've had that encounter. I think a lot of us, unfortunately, have had far too many of those encounters at home. Home. I see Abdila Albertine sending those green hearts also and Facebook. Mata Shangang is saying equity right there. And that's, of course, looking at some of the policy type decisions that would need to be made uh, that take women's uh, safety in consideration. Now, you know, Claire, one of the things that I, I, I know doesn't get not only spoken about but addressed a lot within mainstream media is the, the, the role of affordable housing in urban development. I mean, when we look at, uh, we'll say the housing crisis in South Africa in its, in the, in the, in its entirety, because I mean, these, those of us at home and people who watch the show are looking to buy or rent or build, certainly looking at their property portfolio as much as possible. And the reality of some of the landlords is that they cater to different you know, demographics of, of people. So, and various LSMs, and you know that the, the needs that they have you know, vary slightly in terms of the amenities that you'd want to make sure are included in that kind of property. So when you then look at affordable housing and, and urban development, perhaps you know, help paint the picture for us when, when it comes to women and, and affordable housing and urban development, because we already know that we're such huge players in the first-time home buyers market as unmarried women, for example. Um, I'm keen to hear what, what the stats would look like then in the affordable market space and how we need to be catering more to that demographic because it's got such a lot of potential that we are unfortunately not adequately tapping into. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that has happened um, uh, in the last, I want to say month, but the last three weeks. So I'm currently at home in KZN with my parents. I got stuck here. My flights got cancelled because of COVID and then my flights got cancelled because of the riot. Well, I couldn't get to the airport because of the riot. So these last three weeks feel like a year. So in that space, um, there has been a, quite a landmark um, decision in Seapoint to purchase a piece of the Western Cape's purchase a piece of land from the SABC and they'll be developing affordable housing on that on that land. And why it's so incredibly important is because it goes back to what I was saying earlier, the fact that there are so many um, jobs that serve the residents of Seapoint that, that women play 
you know, cashiers at checkers, um, tellers at banks, not that we really have those anymore, um, domestic workers, child carers, um, you know, nannies. Um, and those women then have to now travel, you know, two and a half to four or five hours back out of Seapoint every day. And by allowing a good mix of affordable housing in our spaces, we allow for those women to then play the role in a, in a full, not exhausted way um, in their own homes. Um, and it also means that there's, we're working towards obviously more integrated cities um, diverse spaces where um, we know that the more diverse the space is, the safer it, it becomes. Um, and it really kind of just pushes the urban development into, into spaces that are like livable, really livable, integrated neighborhoods. And so when we talk about affordable housing, we need to, we need to also recognize that we need more, going back to my bubbles, we need more policy instruments. And the city of Cape Town is, and the city of Joburg in many ways are working. Um, the city of Joburg is a little bit ahead on um, affordable housing um, policies that will allow for, you know, a good mix of, of affordable units to come into, into the spaces. Um, but it's so incredibly important to recognize that the people who work in our cities need to be able to live in our cities. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing that across all of the neighborhoods. It's not necessarily just in the inner city. You know, if we think about Century City um, and access to affordable housing around that node in, in, in Joburg, it's Santon. Um, and now, like we're seeing with all the taxi violence in Cape Town, when there's a break in the public transport, we see a breakdown in those value chains. And so affordable housing would completely negate that. We would still have public transport um, for other um, services, but we wouldn't, a lot of our value chains and our services within cities wouldn't rely so heavily on the public transport um, system. Mm -hmm. I'm in, this evening in conversation with Claire Dutrevaux. We're looking at women's participation in urban development. I want to find out from uh, you know, our, our viewers who are women around the, the, the key things that they look at or look at when they're looking for a property, whether it is to buy or to rent out. Um, and I think one of the key things I was saying earlier is that safety is one of those big ones that, that I you know, look out for, um, regardless of whether I'm looking to buy an investment property um, where obviously you don't know which gender you're going to be renting out to, but safety certainly is one of those big things um, that I'm always aware of. Want to find out more of your questions and comments when it comes to this, especially um, our viewers who are women. And I see on Facebook we've got Uhroni Mohao saying safety. I made sure I buy a house in an enclosed area, not really a complex, and also a house that is in between other houses, not at the corner or near the busy road. And that's a huge consideration because it's so easy for you know people to do something, especially when you're in a, in a busy road, to do something and it gets missed. You know, you would think because it's a busy road, people would know, but people are not really uh, looking out for that. 
And we've got times in Soganyele saying an experience just that twice. I bought my first property at 20 and way back in 1996 and the assumption uh, that Ubaba is coming to sign. Uh, and I know so many of us as women probably have this, you know, this encounter. You go and view a property. doesn't even matter what the price point of that property is. And the estate agent automatically assumes that um, you know, there's a, a man in, in the picture who's either going to come for a second viewing or that you're going to need to apply with to, you know, to qualify. And I think one of the, the dangerous things that estate agents do is, is just that, because the reality is we're seeing a lot of women, a lot of unmarried women uh, who are choosing to enter the property market, whether it is to be homeowners themselves or to be property investors. So making that kind of assumption is actually quite dangerous. You know, somebody can be easily put off and rather work with another estate agent um, in that property transaction. Claire, before I let you go and before you wrap up this evening, I think, you know, what, what can we do better to, you know, better accommodate, I'll say women in particular, when it comes to our urban development? Um, because I think one of the key things that you've already just so well uh, pointed out is the, the, the knock-on effect of sort of getting the fundamentals right and, and that really ultimately everybody has to gain, right? Uh, so what can we do better? And by we, I really mean, for example, uh, I'm thinking of viewers at home who are some of them uh, property investors and obviously rent out to women. So from the prism of somebody who owns a property and would rent out, sometimes you're probably you know renting out to a woman who's a single mother or you know a single woman who's looking for a property. How can they sort of make better decisions or better uh, position themselves, uh, being mindful of, uh, we'll say, the greater uh, factors that are in play? I think one of the big things to kind of think about, like if we, if we think about like a, a property developer, um, if you're a property developer and you are starting a project anew, I would get a team almost like a, um, like a reference group and get a team of women to red hat your, your ideas first. Um, and little things like, the, you know, from how you enter you know, how long does your gate take to open um, if it's an automatic gate? Um, is If it's a pedestrian gate, like, is it is it like a block that you can't see through? Because all of those small safety, um, like, thoughts before you even enter the property are things that women are taking into consideration. Can I get my pram off the edge of this pavement? Um, where's the nearest park? Because, you know, maybe it's safer to exercise in a park because there's a lot more, that kind of thing. So really having a, a reference group, an idea, and then, you know, coming to like, if you are, if you now are a property owner and you want to, you're gutting a place to, for rental purposes, really consider small things like how high is your are your cabinets um a lot of the times like you know women can't even reach and it's it's silly things and then if you do have really high cabinets then you know be considerate and put a little footstool there for your tenant um uh you know maybe making things uh, emergency numbers available and then from like a bigger scale I think just really thinking about what can you do as a property owner that impact on your neighborhood, 
um, or even as a tenant. So how, how can you actively participate in making neighborhoods safer and more accessible for women? Um, maybe it means speaking to a rate pays association about lighting or um, engaging with the SID about having extra patrols. Um, really kind of thinking about, about the spaces beyond your property because those are the spaces that often get forgotten. And if we were each to kind of like publicly monitor and be accountable for like a, a one kilometer radius around our property, our cities would be a lot more, um, like a lot more safer and accessible for women as a whole. Mm. I'm going to end this off with a comment from Utemzin So Gangile. Uh, and, and this is a can of worms because I, I remember once raising it with, a, with an attorney I, I dealt with and, and they explained it quite well, but the, the convention still irks me quite a bit. And, and Tamsin says, I'm currently an estate agent and I'm a state agent currently and happen to pick up this close on an offer to purchase, referring to a he uh, withholding of capital gains tax, non-resident sellers. The seller declares that he is or is not a non-resident um, and, and then it continues. And I think the, the big way that a lot of our contracts tend to you know, be, be written, some of them, of course, making reference to um, a he, even though really it's a he or she. What you would typically find that is, you know, at the beginning of the contract, when they sort of do the breakdown, they'll say that where he or she um, is used, one, you know, holds regardless of the person's gender. And then you'll find that the rest of the, you know, the contract, it's, it's a he that's used. Um, and a part of me is like, let's, this rather than use the sheet, right? Let's change the convention and see if men are going to be comfortable uh, signing a document that then uh, makes it a she, even though we all know that um, that isn't necessarily uh, who it's being referred to. Uh, we're going to squeeze this one in. It's coming from Gatako Achape, same private property. If I wouldn't, I, if I wouldn't stay in it, I won't buy it, even if it's a buy to rent. So safety and conveniently located place a big basic role and that's quite a big one right so if you're not going to want to stay in it uh, perhaps don't buy it um and and you're able to then look at all those things like is does it also meet my personal safety standards if not why expect somebody else um to live in it well, we're going to leave it there this evening claire i think this has been such an insightful conversation i know that I'm, I, I, I was nerding up with you. Uh, before we came on air. Thank you so much for joining us. Always such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to And that is Claire Dutraveau, who is the... Uh, thank you very much, Claire. And she is an architect and an urban researcher. Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of the Private Property Podcast with myself, Uzamandu Mwakumalo. You can look forward to the Farming Podcast with Dumbali Mwako at 8 p.m. looking at the sustainability of bee farming. I'll be back on your screens tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Until then, hoping you're staying home and staying safe.